what episode number are we up to now? 15? Let's go 15. Episode 15. So this one's all about evangelism and winning souls. Mm, it's that sense of mission. Yeah, that's right. So in this one, we're going to talk about what we told people, how we told them, why we told them, motivations, you know, all that kind of space. So, yeah. So get your tracts out, people. We're going to go hand out tracts and win some souls. Well, speak for yourself. I mean, this was something I really struggled with, as I've spoken about before, you know, being um, upfront with my faith and trying to win souls. It was very, very difficult. But I will have a couple of stories about how I attempted to do it. Yeah, well, I was the opposite. Mm. Again, the opposite of B, T is the opposite of B. I think that should be a Sesame Street song. T is the opposite of B. Um, but, yeah, man, I was, I, yeah, as you know, I, I lived in this space. And, you know, you even said it in the last episode that I was constantly the evangelist. Um, and it doesn't matter what I'm peddling, I will evangelize. And, yeah, 100%. I, I think um, my personality type, I've done a couple of those personality type um, assessments, and I have this sort of, you know, persuader um uh, kind of person you know that that's where i sit in a couple of them so so no doubt about that um but i also lean towards helping so i i oftentimes think that i'm actually showing people the better way for their own sake not just yep. for my own agenda you know um but that being said i'm going to start with the revival center because in the revival center the revival center have what I guess what evangelicals would call a false gospel or a different gospel. Mm. Um, very similar to um, what in America are called the oneness Pentecostals. Um, oneness Pentecostals are all Trinity deniers. Revival mm. centers weren't necessarily Trinity deniers, but they did believe that you had a one, two, three step salvation message, which is you must repent, mm. you must be baptized, and you must be filled with the Holy Spirit with Bible evidence of speaking in tongues. And until you have that Bible evidence of speaking in tongues, you are not a Christian. What's Bible evidence of speaking in tongues? Well, Bible, exactly. What is Bible evidence? Well, I don't believe that there is such a thing, but that's what we used to say. So the Bible evidence of speaking in tongues was the Bible evidence of one's salvation, meaning that you are imitating what is in the Bible, which is you will speak in tongues like they did in the book of Acts. Uh. Yeah, mm -hmm. so so that was their message. So we would go out there uh, preaching the gospel, and we saw um, you know people like the AOG and other Pentecostals who spoke in tongues as being lukewarm, perhaps even having lost their salvation, despite the fact that they spoke in tongues themselves, um, mm. because you have to preach speaking in tongues. And and in fairness, you know the revival center message to to get saved is pretty easy one two three, but to stay saved fucking hard you know as you know and if you cross any lines you're out and out for life missing the resurrection and all that kind of stuff but anyway we we were really big on like like most cults big on evangelizing and big on um you know telling people and bringing people into the fold um yeah. so we had lots and lots of leaflets we called them pamphlets we didn't call them tracts they were leaflets mm -hmm. and pamphlets that were given to us oh that was the thing about the revival center we weren't religious um we didn't have church services we had meetings we didn't mm -hmm. have sermons we had talks we didn't have tracts so they tried to move themselves far away from all that religious language while being more religious than <laughs> than everybody else right um but yeah we had all these leaflets and we were given these leaflets which were full of you know out of context bible verses and um you know end times and um you know speaking in tongues and all, all these different tracks and leaflets and so i used to actually as a teenager as a teenage fundamentalist i would actually have a number of these in my bag at all times 
mm-hmm. um, and I would give them to people in the street, give them to people, uh, kids that I went to school with. And yep. Catholics are Revival Centre enemy number one. So it was my mission to try and bring as many Catholic young people into the Revival Centres. And so I used to hand out leaflets <clears> and and um, talk to my friends and bring them along. And the, the school actually found out and yep. put a stop to it. They actually came to me and had a chat with my mum, and um, my mum was very, very embarrassed, you know, um, because she wasn't a part of it all, and I was told I had to stop handing out leaflets. Did that just embolden you because you were obviously doing the right thing? Um, yeah, I guess so, but uh, not, I, I mean, I did stop, right? I, I stopped handing them out at school. I, I, I honoured that because, you know, you don't want to be kicked out of your school, and especially when your mother's whacking you across the back of the head and telling you to stop. Mm. Um, but but certainly, you know, it was like more proof that the Catholics were of the devil because they're stopping me from preaching the gospel, right? Um, but I can re- I can remember we used to they used to mobilise us. We'd go to to the youth group, um, and then we'd have like a youth service and get all sort of excited. Well, a meeting wasn't a service. Yeah. Um, we'd, we'd get all um, motivated and excited, and then they would take us out into the streets, and in, into the city, and we would hand out leaflets, and we would invite people back for coffee. And just just for instant coffee, it was in the days before soy lattes. Um, oh, and we bring, I oh, know it was the day here. Yeah. And and we we bring them back and and we try and convert them. We talk to them out in the street. Um, so that was really where I had, what where I got my training. You know, it was just like you just you just did it. And it wasn't about so much befriending people and loving them and you know, helping them. No, no, no. It was just telling them. What was your strike rate? Uh <laughs> pretty low you know yeah. but it, but it's a numbers game i did actually i was successful in bringing a couple of friends into the revival centers from from my catholic school um yeah. one in particular is still a christian to this day um he ended up leaving the revival center and so then i went and found him and brought him into great big aog um because i thought oh this will this will fix you um <laughs> and uh yeah and but you know he and i are still friends and we go out for lunch from time to time and talk and sort of you know laugh at, at those days he's he's still a christian um mm. but i can say he's also still a very nice guy um so yeah so not a huge high strike rate but but enough enough so you obviously you've really honed those skills in the revival center how did that then translate into great big aog like was the were they accepting of that well yeah i mean there was there was a street team um and it was uh, you know a group of people that were committed to going out on the weekend we'd go mm. out on a week on a weekend night um and we would hand out tracts and we would um preach and we would you know stand up on the on the chairs in the in the local shopping strip and start to shout out you know i want to tell you today that jesus is you know died for you and you know and quite literally like that we were the god botherers out there in the street um probably more intense even probably more intense even than the revival centers in the fact that we would street preach um people would bring guitars and we would sing um, you know, and we'd sing all those, you know, those typical sort of street preacher songs, you know, J-E-S-U-S, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Um, and, yeah, so out we'd go and we'd just start start preaching to people and trying to bring them in. And so it was very similar to the Revival Centre, but the message was a lot less harsh. And yeah. with, whereas in the Revival Centre, it was almost everybody would be mobilised mm. to go out and do this on a certain night or a certain, certain church meeting, whereas in Great Big AOG – 
it was smaller pockets and smaller groups of people. You know, it was a, a, a very much a an almost an insignificant percentage of people would be involved in that. Yeah, it was interesting. I um, I did try and be part of it, and I'm sure you remember this. Um, we, I remember going out to, I remember being absolutely petrified. How the hell do I sit down and talk to someone? And I've, as I've said in previous episodes, externalising my faith, talking to other people about it was something that always, it sat incredibly uncomfortably with me. And I remember going to, with this street team with you, it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. I remember when the guitar came out, I got up the back of the crowd as far as I could so I could still feel part of it, but I didn't want to be seen. Um, I remember talking to people. I remember being quite emboldened by the fact that it was maybe, what, 15 or 20 of us. So I, I can't remember exactly how many. Um, and I remember being just petrified by it, though. It was just something I found incredibly confronting and uncomfortable. And I think that... The other, the first church that I really came involved with, I think I've spoken about it again in um, an earlier episode where you used to go to the local train station and you would go and talk to people and try and win their souls for Jesus. And we had this manic street preacher um, who used to absolutely fire hard at them and tell them there was a frying pan in hell with their name on it, turn or burn, you know, it was literally that message. And I remember going to that twice and just thinking, this is really messed up. I can't be part of this. Um, it, it never sat, com uh, sat comfortably with me. So for me, it was uh, it was a scary time being able to be part of that because I felt like you almost, you had to be, you had to be part of it. Um, and it was almost a bit of a personal challenge too. So it, it'll be, <laughs> it, it, it was, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So God knows how you could do it. Well, I know how you can do it because you're a born evangelist, um, whatever you sit your hand to. Yeah, whatever happened to be, to, to be peddling. But I don't know, you didn't show it. You certainly didn't show that you were struggling with it. You get out no. there and jump in. So fake it till you. you make it, fake it till you make it. it, it it's my motto to this day. Um, but I, I think for me, it was, um, it was it was just really difficult to be part of that. It was really difficult to and and whether it was a lack of conviction on my own behalf that I just didn't know if I fully believed everything that I was trying to tell people or whether it was just a confidence thing. Even to this day, I'm not quite sure. I think it was maybe a mix of both, um, but it wasn't me. I wanted it to be me, but it just wasn't me. Well, the the great big AOG message was was somewhat different to the revival center too, right? It was more John three sixteen, you know, for God so loved the world, whoever believes, you know, will be saved. And so it was it was a lot more it was a lot easier to get in. That yep. was that was the first thing. Um, but I think the message was also, uh, you know, whilst it certainly ultimately wasn't a message of grace, at least it appeared to be at the start. So we would talk more about Jesus loving you and. Jesus dying for you and 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 that kind of talk as well. But we would certainly pray for people, you know, out on the street. I don't know if you remember, we'd you know we'd lay hands on them and and pray for healing or um, you know expecting that God was going to do some sort of miracle. Um, mm. Never saw one, by the way. Never saw a single one. No. Um, I, I think if you'd asked me back in the day, I might have told you that I'd seen one or two because, and it wasn't that I was lying as much as I was sort of more convinced that coincidences and other things that had happened had been miracles did i see anybody actually healed did i see any sort of supernatural manifestations uh, anything like that no 
I didn't. Um, that doesn't mean that they don't happen. You know, people claim that it happens, and but I, I never saw a single one. But we used to go out there expecting that God would do miracles. And do you remember we'd have um, prayer meetings before we would go? Yeah. So we'd meet at, at the church building and we would pray for, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes, um, lots of praying in tongues, lots of praying that God would soften hearts. Um, mm. We'd have a bit of a worship time, ask the anointing to come, and then we would jump in cars and go down into town and, and hit the streets and start talking to people. It terrifies me. Just even thinking about it absolutely terrifies me. Um, <clears throat> I... I definitely got thrown into those situations quite often um, and it was definitely me thinking that I had to do that. I had to be like that, otherwise I lacked faith. Um, so for me, it just was never natural. And I do remember um, I ended up, when I was at Bible college, there was an, an offer to go overseas to go to Estonia, which is right next to Russia, it's the old communist bloc, to go over and um, speak to young people about this positive message. Um, so had, for me, that was scary, but I also thought, hey, this would be good, there's anonymity. So I can go over there, I can absolutely be part of it, um, and it won't be as confronting. So you uh, went on a short-term missions trip. That was actually what we called them, short-term yeah. missions trip, brother. Yeah, the old short-term missions trip. I did. Um, and But to build up to that, we had um, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, mm-hmm. come to us and train us a little bit. There was a group of uh, maybe there was a dozen of us that, that went over. Um, and we would do street theatre. So in uh, the city, we would do this street theatre, this acting um it was was it, was it in english or did you learn some estonian or did you just no. speak in tongues and hope that they understood <laughs> <laughs> hey that would have been good um no it was it was no words um so it was completely through the art of movement oh. which if anyone were to try and associate the art of movement with me uh it, it just doesn't work I'm, I'm a quality dad dancer that's about it um but it was good it was um it took me out of my comfort zone. I actually enjoyed it. It was it was a lot of fun doing that. But also um, going over to Estonia, um, I preached a lot. So preached in quite a few churches over there. You know, obviously everything was through a translator. Uh, went and spoke in a lot of schools. Um, quite often you weren't allowed to talk about the gospel in the schools. There was still a lot of hangover from communism. It was... Uh, what was it, 1993 or four? I can't remember, maybe 94. So communism had only fallen a couple of years prior to that. So you couldn't be that open when you were there. Um, spoke in a couple of prisons over there. It, it was quite amazing and I, I felt quite emboldened by it. <laughs> um, and, but there's no way I could do that in my home turf. So it was, um, it was an interesting time and it was certainly a... Um, uh, it was a life-changing time. Even when I look back on it now, I just think some of the things I did, I learnt um, about myself while doing that. I think it was quite incredible, that sense of mission, uh, regardless of the fact that right now I look back, at, back on it and I go, that is just ridiculous. Why would you even do that? Uh, it was a, it was an opportunity to learn a lot about myself. Um, so, so that's what you got out of it. But when you were there, why did you go? Well, it was about winning souls. 
100%. Like, this was a a ripe field. Like, communism had just fallen, that godlessness that was over there. It was a prime opportunity to go and sow some seeds of faith and of Christianity and win some souls for Jesus. So, yeah, and, and save them from hell, right? Oh, absolutely. It, hell, you know, not a great place. Um, good place to visit. You wouldn't want to live there. But I think um, it was just a, it was... It was a pressure also because I was a Bible college and you know, I was trying to professionalise my Christianity. It was time to move into ministry. So what better way to do it than to leap into this space? And and you talked about um, going to Bible college and ending up in debt. So this would have been yeah. all at your own expense as well. Yeah, that was full on. So this was where I was told, because I, I was really clear, I said, you know, this is an act of... Uh, faith, if anything, and I was told, oh, it was a great test, you know, if God wants you to go, it'll happen. And lots of things happened in the lead up, but when I look back on them, like I was asked to go and speak at a uh, a regional church pr- prior to going to, you know, tell them about what was coming up, I got a really decent offering of like four or $500 given to me that night. Like it was a fair bit of money, Um back nearly 30 years ago, and that helped. That probably paid about half the airfare um, from memory or quarter of the airfare or whatever. Uh, I put a little bit of money into myself. I raised the money for the airfare. We got a couple of things that were subsidised through the church. Um, but I, a couple of days leading up, I had zero money uh, to go with. So I was leaving to go to the other side of the world We'd also booked a U-Rail pass um, for, I think, about 10 or 14 days afterwards with, I think there was half a dozen of us that were going to travel through Europe, um, have a bit of a holiday afterwards. I got to the airport with $20 in my pocket. And I remember my father coming up to the airport and shoving $200 in my pocket. And that was literally all I had. I had that in a credit card. The credit card I owed nothing on, but I could get a cash of advance. And I remember on the way we got to Germany, I thought, stuff it, I'm going to get a cash advance. So I cash advanced my whole credit card, which was about $1,000, and got that out. Um, And then um, on the flight from Germany to Estonia, I remember one of the the pastors, uh, one of the head pastors had come to us. Actually, slight side note, when... We were in Germany at the airport. Um, we caught up with Brian Houston, who was on the way to preaching Kiev in the Ukraine at the time. So he was, it was quite early days, like 93, 94. Um, but I remember thinking, I was being so, I felt so encouraged by that. We didn't know that we were going to run into Brian at the, at the airport. And we did, and I felt incredibly encouraged. That was like, Brian, I'm on the right track. You're such a fucking name dropper. Look at you. Oh, ran into Brian. Oh, look, he didn't talk to me. Um, and we <laughs> we were nearly late for our flight. Um, they were calling our names for the flight and we missed it because we were having coffee. Um, and they actually ended up taxiing the, the aircraft out onto the tarmac and had to shuttle bus us out. Uh, that was, they were the days where they um, would, a plane would actually wait for you. But I remember on that flight from Germany to Estonia, uh, the pastor was in front of me and he turned around and he goes, Look, I, I don't know why. Um, and no one at this time knew that I had no money. No one. Um, so 
he turned around and said, I, I feel someone gave me a gift before we went and I feel that I've got to give you that gift. And it was $100. I remember thinking, it's $100. But going to Estonia, things are cheap, dirt cheap over there. Um, this could last me a long while. Anyway, I went through, long story short, while we were over there, I went through all my money. I was down to my last $100, $150. And I remember, and we got put up while we were over there. We actually stayed at a living Bible college over there. So they paid for all our food and everything like that, gave us accommodation. I decided, obviously it was my lack of faith, that I had to come back early. It was time to come back to Australia. Um, I changed my flight. Everyone else is going through Europe. I didn't want it. The fact I had 150 bucks to go to, I think, five or six countries we'd booked into, I thought I really need to get home and I've got a credit card debt now. Um, so if I cash in my Eurail pass, at least I can pay some of that credit card debt. And just before I was getting dropped off at the airport, this same pastor came to me and he said, because you haven't cl completed the mission, I feel I've got to take that money back. So he took the money back. So I was left by that time with 30 or $50 or something. And I remember thinking, I've got to get back to Germany. I've got to stay a night in Germany. Um, I've got to get some food and then I've got to fly back to Australia. What the hell am I going to do? So I got back to Frankfurt Airport in Germany. I got something to eat. Things aren't cheap in Germany. I had practically no money. I didn't have enough to get onto the train and go to the backpackers in Frankfurt. So I had to stay at the airport on the floor, on a cold concrete floor, but it was all in faith, so it was fine. And I had to stay there until um, the next day when <laughs> when I ended up finally falling asleep and then were almost late for my flight. So I lined up and it was back in the day where you could still smoke on a plane and the only seat I could check into was in the smoking section. Uh, I'd given up smoking, so I just sat there and I passively smoked about 14 packets of cigarettes all the way back to Australia while I spoke to this guy who was around about my age, a German guy, going, what the fuck, you've just been on a mission trip? What is this? And he thought I was the strangest dude ever, um, which I was. You, you know what's funny about that? That same pastor, because obviously I know who that was, and that mm. same pastor, I, I, was, I had people sponsoring me through Bible college, right? I had people, because I remember I told you it was $40 a week. So I had four people giving me $10 a week for Bible college, right? Yep. And he found out that I was also getting the doll, mm -hmm. right? That pastor, and he came to me and told me, I heard that you're asking people to give you $10 a week, right? And in, in the 90s, $10 a week was still not a lot, right? No. Um, uh, it wasn't enough to live on. It was just paying my fees. Um, and then you're also getting the doll, um, I, I don't think that's right. And he told me off and told me that I wasn't living by faith and I had to either choose those people giving me the 40 bucks or the people giving or, or the doll. Um, so of course I chose the doll. Um, but then all of a sudden I got myself, you know, into, into debt with college cause I couldn't afford my fees. And all the while he's getting a salary, he's yep. driving his Falcon, he's living in his McMansion, whole bit. Falcons were big amongst the pastorship weren't they, they were weren't they yeah 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 the sedans they were <laughs> well I, I did see the occasional wagon amongst them but um they all had falcons ea and eb falcons well there you go um, yeah. yes that was, that was so so i totally i totally get that i totally get that but um yeah 
in terms in terms of mission, the fact that we would suffer like that, um, you know, to to win souls, right? To go out there and 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 bring people to Jesus because it was the ultimate commitment, you know, as the Great Commission, right? Go you into all the world and preach the gospel, and it was it was basically what we were put on earth to do after accepting Jesus. I must have, one thing that just popped into my mind that I completely forgot about was the fact that that pastor didn't have to pay their their own way there or back. So we all played a loading amongst the 12 or 15 of us to pay for their ticket as well because that was part of it because they were going as our shepherd. And he took and he took the 100 bucks back. Took the 100 bucks back. It shattered me. I remember I had an incredible amount of respect for this person. Um, and I remember at the time my heart just sunk. I remember thinking this is just incredibly wrong and and even at that time i remember thinking so was god wrong in telling you that i needed that money um because that's what you said that god had told you that i need that money but now because i haven't lived up to your expectations maybe god was wrong yeah and i i remember that mate i remember how much that rocked you and how much that upset you at the time it, mm. it was devast it was devastating I think it was one of the things that led to me leaving Bible College the next year. I just, um, one of the things, there was several, but mm. um, that was definitely one of the things where I just thought, this is shit. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you remember, and, and this is testimony to the fact of how much of a poster boy for a great big AOG I was, do you mm. remember that the um, there was a TV station that was doing a youth television show? It was a, it was a, it was a network station. Um, I remember this well. Yeah, and they, and they approached the church and they said, you know, we're doing this show on on different religions, um, and we want to look at some young people in your church. And um, the church actually put me forward as the only one um, yeah. from our church. And so I had a film crew follow me for an entire week, and they came yeah. with us to the street team. They came with us to um, uh, to youth and to the services and all that kind of stuff. And um, th remember, they followed us out onto the streets. And yeah. do you remember there was that that guy that was, <laughs> that was out there? He was this poor he street guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and he was he was talking and he's uh, he's saying, oh, he came up to me, you know, because the cameras are there and and I'm talking to someone about Jesus and you know, it's all it wasn't staged, it was all legit, but you know, it was for the cameras and um and he comes up and just in the middle of the interview and goes oh, i tried jesus and, and and it didn't work and then i just looked at him and i said who do you love more jesus or your drugs and he goes oh i tried jesus and i said no no who do you love more jesus or your drugs and he goes oh i said just give me an answer i was full of grace and love right oh, and yeah. then he goes and he goes oh i guess i'd have to say i love me drugs <laughs> and then i turned to the camera and goes yeah well i see that's why i didn't work because he loves his drugs more than he loves jesus and sort of walked away and that was my answer to drug addiction right <laughs> which you just got to love jesus more um and so that's somewhere on film somewhere in some sort of vault at this at this well who knows but you know what i'm saying it exists i was a shit i was a total evangelistic knob yeah, you were an asshole. Um, but, you know, I remember that incredibly well. And what was that? That was almost 30 years ago. So. Oh, yeah, 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 almost, yeah, exactly yeah. right. But, I mean, I, I lived it. I lived it, B, you know. I used to yeah. – and, and and so I had a, a best friend at the time who was very similar, and we would talk to people on 
buses and on trains and we would go to um to markets and stand up in the, you know like not even officially sponsored church events and we would stand up on the chairs and start preaching and um you know preach against the drugs the, the drug paraphernalia that's being sold at that stall and you know nearly getting our heads kicked in <laughs> by people because we're challenging their livelihood you know saying you know the, i can remember standing up and saying drugs the scourge of the nation. <laughs> I mean, who, who in his 20s uses the word scourge other than the born again? Look, to be honest, we've got a national anthem that uses the word girt. So, I mean, I think it's very Australian to use scourge. Scourge, yeah. I was actually challenged by a Canadian once because I was saying, I reckon, I reckon this, you reckon that. And he goes, you reckon, do you? You sound <laughs> like you're from the 1800s. You got a bit of a reckoning going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently we use those words, but yeah, but seriously, man, it was, a, it was a part of what I did. You know, I, I, I lived this and it was a big part. And, and even after I left great big AOG and went on to other denominations, I was very much involved in mission and urban mission, not so much the overseas stuff. Um, yeah. although I did start to pray, um, for China. And I started to read a lot of books about China and, um, you know, what was happening in the Chinese church and the persecution. And then I started giving money to mission organizations that specifically focused on China. And then I started to believe that I had a call to China as a missionary okay. um, and that one day I was going to go and live in China as a missionary. Ironically, of course, later on, having left the faith, I ended up living in China for seven years you know learning the language and the whole bit but nothing to do with religion you know it was like i i consumed a lot of chinese pijo being chinese beer um and yeah i mean that would that was my life in china was just working and living maybe that was your mission well that you know of course that came back right into my mind it's like yeah i felt called here i was supposed to be here and maybe that's what this is somehow, you know, you still have that niggling little believer's voice, you know, or as Kenneth Copeland, you know, the believer's voice of victory, brother, was still in, still in there, you know, sort of niggling away saying this is what, you, this is what you're supposed to be doing here. And, if, and I wasn't, you know, I had to sort of push that back and say, no, nah, you know, that's all make-believe. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I was right into China and right into the missions work and, um, and I, I was giving money to um, quite conservative evangelical mission organisations because I didn't want to be giving it to the Penties because I'd sort of, you know, moved away from that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And I, I, I flirted a little while with YWAM about joining YWAM. But yeah. but as you as you mentioned, you know, you needed to come up with all your own money and all your own sponsorship and all that kind of thing. And I, I, just, I just couldn't do it. Whilst I might have been great at preaching at people, um, I wasn't great at the fundraising, to be honest. Not everything was bad. I've brought forward some really good positive stuff from back then to my life now, and I learnt a lot. And I really love seeing those comments because there is nothing worse than feeling like you've wasted your life. As we've spoken about a few times, always find the opportunity to pull the positive into the future and leave the shit in the past. All right, mate. Well, that was awesome. As usual, I will go and see my therapist and unpack everything that we've talked about this week, and I'll see you next week. Sounds good. See ya.